0: morning our scripture reading this morning is taken from acts chapter 13 verses 1 to 3 in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers Barnabas Simon called Niger Lucius of serene Manon who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting the Holy Spirit said set apart from me Barnabas Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed they placed their hands on them and sent them off. May God add his richest blessing to his most holy word. Let's pray together and ask the Holy Spirit to give us understanding into our text this morning. Lord God, we know that you speak to us as we read your word. That you, the creator of heaven and earth, have wisdom, have instruction, have truth to impart to us in this time. We pray to give us ears to hear and the power to obey, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, do you have any Sunday traditions? You know, those things you do when you get home with your family or friends. Maybe for some of you, it's go for lunch and then have a walk. And maybe for some of you, it's go home and put the kids to sleep, or at least try to for a couple hours. Maybe for some of you, it's just go home and sleep yourselves. But I was remembering that when I was younger, my grandma and my grandpa, who are my mom's parents, that we had a Sunday tradition which I deeply valued. They would take me to the local golf course on Sundays, either for supper or sometimes even for brunch after church. And there they would treat me to food and the classic Shirley Temple, virgin, of course. And we would visit and talk, and usually I'd be complaining about having to go to school the next day, but it was a great time, and the memories that I cherish and, to be quite honest, still miss. But it was during one of these occasions, this time that my grandparents took me out for a meal, that I discovered one of the most beautiful things that exists on the face of the planet, and that is the buffet-style meal. My parents weren't too fond of this discovery, but my grandparents introduced it to me allowing a young kid to see so much food before them and to tell me that there was no limits on the ham or potatoes and the corn could be refilled and even the beverages were refillable, including the cherry that came with it. It's like Christmas morning every time I went. But I soon learned, as I discovered the buffet-style meal, that there were challenges and quite depressing aspects that also came with it. You see, it can be really easy to go up to the buffet and, and fill your plate and there's tons of food on it. And you go and you eat it and then you're full and you leave. And the reality is you end up missing out on a lot of the dishes that were actually there. I remember driving home. I wasn't driving, but my grandpa was driving home. And he'd say, oh, did you try that? And I'd say, what are you talking about? Oh, it was on the other table. I didn't even see it there. Oh, my goodness. And other times I would try to be a little more deliberate and survey the entire buffet so that that did not happen. And then I quickly realized that there was so much food I couldn't eat it all without being overwhelmed and overcome. Now, that being said, the challenge and the the attempt to eat it all was definitely there, made for some uncomfortable rides on the way home. But why am I telling you this about this buffet-style meal and the challenges that it can bring? Well, church, do you know that one of the images that is given for the Scriptures is not just the fact that it is a lamp unto our feet, but that it is the Word of God, it is the food of God, which is given to us to nourish and edify us. And if you've been paying attention to the book of Acts over the past two and a half years now, or Revelation, or Jonah, we are quickly realizing that the Word of God is not an entree but it is a buffet where there is so much food that is given to us in the scriptures and it's very easy for us to look at a chapter and get a bunch of food and get filled up and walk away move on to the next one leaving a lot of the food that is there behind never tasting it and the other side of things it's it's very easy to try to get it all at once and it's too overwhelming There's too much in the passage to take out at once. So why am I saying this? Because some of you, maybe this morning, are thinking, are we ever, ever, ever going to finish the book of Acts? We're on chapter 13. Pastor, there are 65 other books of the Bible. But here's the reality. There's so much truth. There is so much food, even in this book, that we do not want to quickly go through a chapter and move on and leave tons of the food behind. Nor is it good for us to try to do all at once because it would be too overwhelming. So we're going to continue to take our time because as we do, we discover truth that some of us, if we're honest, will admit we had never even seen there before. We pray that God would continue to bless our study as long as it takes that we may be nourished and edified by the meal that is before us. And so, with that, we come to a new part of the meal this morning, and we come to chapter 13. Now, structurally, this is a new component of the book because it begins to do, deal with a new theme. The previous 12 chapters have focused on the church receiving the power of the Holy Spirit and then being sent to witness to Jerusalem and Samaria, even though there was a Gentile convert in there with the conversion of Cornelius, the Roman centurion. But now, and from now on in the book of Acts, from chapter 13 on, the gospel is going to go forth to the ends of the earth. From now on, with the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul and his companions, we're going to see the gospel go forth to the Gentile regions. And ultimately, the book of Acts itself will end with Paul in Rome, which was the capital and the heart of the Gentile world at the time. And so we'll see the formation of many churches to which the letters of the New Testament are addressed. Corinth, Ephesus, Galatia. And there will be so much for us to continue to learn and feast on as we seek to be a church who follows Christ, who grows in holiness, and is missional in our world where God has placed us. But before we get to those missionary journeys, there is still part of the meal, part of this buffet, that we don't want to miss out on, and it's here in verses 1 to 3. We see here that the gospel ultimately goes forth in God's plan to let the gospel go forth to the Gentiles. Part of that process takes place because there is a congregation at Antioch that discerns and submits to the will of the living God. And so we need to look at these three verses because there is much for us to learn, remember, treasure, and put into practice By the Spirit's help. So, some key things that we see both revealed through the actions of God and through the actions of the leadership of the church at Antioch. So, first things first, what do we see revealed through the actions of God as He calls the church of Antioch to set apart Saul and Barnabas for these missionary journeys? Well, it's nothing that we don't know already, but we're reminded this morning that God is the sovereign Lord of his church. You won't find this in a sociological or religious textbook, but the truth is the church of Jesus Christ is not just another religious institution on the face of the planet. Rather, the church is a people that have been bought by God through Christ, forgiven and reconciled unto himself, who are not just free to live life the way they want to, but rather they now belong to Christ, and He is to demonstrate full sovereignty over their life. No individual believer is their own. If you are a believer in Christ this morning, Christ has bought you, and you belong to Him. He is your master, or He is to be your master, the master of our life is also the master of the church as a whole. And we see this lordship being demonstrated through a variety of ways here in these verses. The first thing is that he is the lord of the church, and the fact that he is also the lord of the church's leaders. See, the word of God in Ephesians 4 says that Christ supplies and gives the church's leaders. Who are ultimately called to serve in order that the congregation may be built up into the image of Christ. And so here we are reminded that not only does he have the sovereign control to give leaders to churches and call them to churches and, and raise them up, but he also has the ability to take from them anytime they want. See, Solomon Barnabas. Among the leaders of the church that are being sent apart and called out of leadership, these were the main teachers or the pastors of the church at Antioch. And they were given by God, but now God comes in and says, I'm taking them away from you. Now, it's a simple but important truth. And what should we be reminded about? Well, if leaders are ultimately appointed, called, and given by God, If he is Lord of the church, then he can take them any time he wants, because he is Lord. I was talking to a a pastor, a friend of mine, a couple years ago, and he was talking about the story of encountering some people in the church that were opposing him when he told them the Lord was leading him somewhere else. They come up to him, and even though the leadership had affirmed this call by God and that God was leading the pastor to, away from that particular congregation, some came up and said, absolutely not. We do not accept this. You're the best teacher we've had. People are coming to hear you. The church has grown under you. So sorry, we do not accept this leaving that you are going to do even if you feel called by God to go somewhere else no we don't accept that so there were some challenges that he came across but ultimately what were those people who were coming up and opposing him saying we're not going to let you leave no way what were they ignorant of who's lord of the church Pastoral search committee? No. God. It's His church. He has sovereign control over everything. Just as He gives leaders, He can take leaders. So, how does this apply to us here at Elgin Street Baptist? Well, in the past with this church, but this is not my church. My name name's on the sign but it's not my church it's not your church your members but it's not your church this pulpit that i preach from not mine who's ultimately belong to christ he is the lord and so he's entrusted me right now to be the pastor and teacher to build up and to equip this particular congregation, but God could easily change that. You know, as I settle into Arm and I've been here for almost about four years now, and I'm still getting used to some of the things in town, people have often asked me, so, Eric, how long can you see yourself serving here? How long do you plan on staying in town? How many years and, and so part of me is wondering is there are you hoping that I say not very long what's what's going on here? what's with the questioning And the reality is if I had my way Elgin Street Baptist, I would be here until I retire because there is something that has happened as I've been called here and as I continue to serve you and maybe I don't demonstrate it enough and I apologize for that if I don't But the passion and the love and the deep desire that God has given me regarding you, it continues to grow. You're not just people that come into the church. You're brothers and sisters that I am called to equip and serve and lead and shepherd. And guess what? I love doing it. I love you. I pray for you. My desire is that you would become like Christ. But the reality is, I'm only going to be here as long as the Lord of the church calls me to be here. Now, is this Pastor Eric saying, have a pastoral search committee standing by? No. But we need to be reminded about who is actually in charge here. Who's actually the Lord of the church. And if that day comes when God says to Eric, it's done, your time's up. You know, there's a friend of mine today who I meet with in the CBLQ pastors. Today is his last day pastor in his church because god said okay my time here is done you're moving on he has no idea where he's going but he knows that he's called to go somewhere else because the lord of church had spoken and if that happens it's not going to be easy for me to leave you know it's not easy for saul and barnabas to leave They've been with Antioch for years now at this point. There's relationships. They, they've been encouraging them to follow Christ with all of their heart. There's a deep relationship. But if it happens, like the church at Antioch, we are to submit to His Lordship because He is in charge. So Christ is the Lord of the church. Selfishly, I hope I'm here as long as pastor. But ultimately it's in the Lord's hands. And if God calls me somewhere else, he will raise up someone else. But he's in charge. It's an important truth about Christ's lordship that we have to remember. Second thing about this that we see about the lordship of Christ is that God leads the church according to his supreme wisdom, even when it may not make sense immediately to the church that he's leading. Notice who God takes away from the church of Antioch. Saul, Barnabas, the main pastors and teachers. I'm taking you away. Both of them? Well, both of them gone. What's that going to look like, Lord? My goodness, now the church is being run by the interns. It's a drastic, big change. It's a huge change for the congregation. We cannot miss this, but ultimately, God's wisdom is perfect. And as the Lord of the church, who's Lord of the leadership, he knows exactly what he's doing. But here's the question that maybe, just maybe, if we're honest, some of us might ask if we were members of the church at Antioch. Well, God, if everything is going right, because everything is going right right now, it seems, the, the community knows that we're believers, we're missional People are coming to the Lord. The preaching, the teaching is amazing and spirit-empowered. Things are going well, Lord. If it's not broke, don't play around with it. If Things are going well. Why would you change things when they're going well? Why would the Lord completely shake things up when things are going so, so, so well? Now, we can understand why change is needed when things are going wrong. You know, if you're not a Law Center fan this past year. You know what I'm talking about. You've seen a lot of change, all in an attempt to deal with the fact that things have not been going well. But here, everything is going right. Everything seems to be productive. People are being added to the church. The name of Christ is being glorified in the community. And yet God in his wisdom comes along and completely shakes things up. And of course, as we go on in the book of Acts, his wisdom, this big change for the church, everything's going to work out according to God's purpose and God's plan as we see the gospel go forth to the rest of the world. But for some in Antioch, what? This makes no sense. But it's God's perfect wisdom. Church, if we're going to be a church that walks under the lordship of We're going to have to be a people that by the Spirit's power acknowledge that God's wisdom trumps our own and that we're called to follow Him even when it doesn't make sense to us. Are we a church that likes to continue to go with things that are working and don't shake things up because things are going well? Are we the church that will let uncomfortable situations happen and let God come in and shake things up and move and exercise His Lordship? His perfect wisdom. Doesn't always make sense to us. But we are called to submit. Third thing we see about God in this passage. Not only is he the Lord of the leaders. Not only is his perfect wisdom demonstrated. But he is the God who speaks. And directs his church. As they engage in corporate worship. Do you realize our God, the creator of heaven and earth, is with us this morning? The one who made you, the one who knows your thoughts before you think them, he is with us, even now. But he is not here with us just to be a passive spectator in the service. We sing our praises, His praises, unto Him. But He's not just on His throne, just dwelling in the midst of His praises, simply receiving it all, but rather in corporate worship settings, the living God has come to speak and guide and lead His people I pray that this morning we have come into this place expecting that the living God who made heaven and earth and who redeemed us through Christ has come not just to hear us sing songs, but to speak to us and to lead us into the newness of life. He has something he wants to say to us this morning. Are we listening? God who speaks through prayers. He's the God who ultimately speaks through the word as it's preached. He, He speaks as people encourage one another unto good works. Even downstairs in the coffee time, the living God is here to speak and direct and to guide. And it is a tragedy when people can come into this place and sit down in the pews and sing the songs and walk out and they were never even listening for the voice of God. So he's the God who speaks, and he's speaking this morning. Holy Spirit, would you give us ears to hear? But another thing we see about God in speaking in corporate settings is that not every corporate worship setting looks the same. Now, here the church is meeting, the leaders are meeting in in a a regular time of worship that they have, and then God all of a sudden shakes things up set apart Saul and Barnabas for me not every single worship service based on God's lordship and his direction is going to look the same he's not going to say the same thing one Sunday as he will the next perhaps and that's all part of his lordship now you may be one of these people and I'm not picking on you if you are just want to start with that. There are people that I know, maybe that you know, maybe you're one of them, that values and loves the reality of routine. I know people that will say, well, I have my routine, I wake up, I do this, I start the coffee, I do whatever, and I need to do this. If I don't do this, it's like something traumatic has happened in my life. I'm so out of whack. It's not the way things go. I need my routine. Anybody identify with that or know that? Well, I pray that we are not so bent up and dependent upon routine when it comes to our corporate order of service. There is no room for the living God to shake things up. We have an order of service. Same every week. Call to worship. Chorus. Announcements. Chorus. Children's prayer. Church in prayer. Tithes and offerings. Doxology. Scripture. Sermon. Hymn response. And addiction. And it's good. Structural worship is good. God is a God of order. It is good. But sometimes if we're honest. We're so attached and dependent on this thing called order of service routine that we're not really open to letting the Holy Spirit lead and direct us into whatever else he may have for that particular service. I remember when I was interning under Reverend Colin Patterson at Dresden Community Church, one time in the middle of the service before he went up to preach, Reverend Colin felt the Spirit prompting him to open up the mic for someone to share their testimony with the congregation. And I was looking around going, this isn't going to go well. Some people could see it on their faces. <coughs> it is offering time. It's like, what are you doing? What's going on? Holy smokes, Colin. Like, we're, we're almost a Baptist church here. You've got so charismatic on us. What's going on? But he felt the Spirit of God lead him. He had no idea what was going to go on, but he felt, open up the mic, someone's testimony to share. And he did it, and someone got up who had been struggling, and the congregation had been praying for. And they shared their testimony and grace of what God had done, and guess what happened? The entire congregation was moved. They were edified. They saw how God had answered prayer. They were glorifying Christ because of it. But it only took place because there was an openness to let the Spirit of God lead. And if Antioch had continued their normal worship service, Would Saul and Barnabas be out there proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles? I pray, oh, I pray, oh, I pray that here at Elgin Street Baptist that we would come with the expectation that God is going to speak and that if he is Lord, that we be open to him doing whatever he wants to do, even if it's different, even if it's something we've never done before. Because he's the Lord, and he leads in his supreme wisdom. He's the Lord of leadership. He's the one with supreme wisdom. He's the one who moves in the corporate worship. May we remember these key truths about our living God and live according as we acknowledge these aspects. And then we see truth revealed from the leadership of the church as well. It's a great description here of the leaders, all diverse in nature. And obviously, this is the pastoral leadership that's being talked about. But here are some important truths we can learn about pastoral leadership, but also leadership in the church in general. And truth that if you are serving in the church, I pray you have ears to hear this. All of these people... They had responsibilities, no doubt. Teaching, ministering of the word, visiting the sick, no doubt these would have been things to do. Preparation, tasks to work on. And let me tell you from my own experience in pastoral ministry, the longer you get into it, the faster Sundays come. And it's busy. And there's lots of things to do. But here we see an important truth that we must grasp as leaders in the church and those who are serving in the church. You are always to be vertically focused before you are to be horizontally focused. And what do I mean by that? Your first allegiance is always to God. You are called to be a disciple before you're called to be a Sunday school teacher. You're called to be a disciple before you're called to be a worship leader. I'm called to be a disciple of Jesus Christ before I'm called to be a pastor. And sometimes people can be so busy with ministry tasks and so many things that we have to do that their own discipleship, their own relationship with Christ can actually be empty and suffering tired, and weary. And guess what? Busyness for God is not always a sign of spiritual maturity. Busyness for God is not always a sign of spiritual maturity. It is not good When you're doing all the work that the Lord has given to you to do, if in the process you forget the Lord who gave you the work. And so here the church of Antioch, the leadership, in the midst of all their tasks, they were faithful to take time to worship, to pray, to fast. I'm talking to you leaders, myself included. I'm talking to all of you who are serving in the church. How is your personal discipleship going? Because here's the thing. You can get caught up doing so many things here at this church and completely walk away from the heart of the matter of it all. Knowing Christ having a deep relationship with him. And as the pastor once said to me, when it comes to the leadership, don't expect a thriving church from a half-empty spiritual leaders. I'm useless to you if I'm not seeking Christ first. Every message before I preach it, guess who it's preached to? Me! I can't show you the wonder and the beauty and be used by the Spirit to help show you the truth of the Scripture if God has not taught me first. And so, if you're serving people in the church, it's not going to be beneficial to serve them when it's like, well, I'm so busy serving you, but really, I'm not even, I'm not investing in my own relationship. It's We need people who are chasing Christ with everything they have so that those who they are serving will see the gospel, see what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And it's tough. It's tough. There's a tough balance, let me tell you. But prayer, the goal, the task is discipleship before service that we may be fed and edified and leading. Second thing about their vertical focus. Healthy churches' biblical leadership is demonstrated when the leaders are receptive and obedient to the Spirit's leading. What made this moment such a great kingdom-building moment in Antioch was that the leaders were able to discern, hear, and be obedient to the will of God. It's not about the pastor's agenda. It's not about the deacon's agenda. It's not about what we want. It's not about what people who are on committees want. It's about what God wants. And biblical leadership is acknowledging this and seeking this and saying, God, you lead. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Not what Eric Green wants, because if you get what Eric Green wants, a lot of you are going to be straying and going the wrong way. But what God wants. But so many times, and it's so depressing to hear of churches that are going through conflict because of leadership that is simply pushing their own agenda. And I know of a church, I'm going to say it, not around here, the church I'm close to, that right now the board is a disaster. Because everyone is just pushing their own agenda. I want this, no, I want this, no, I want this, no, I want this. You're not my brother. No, you're not my sister. And it's a big fight. It's so sad to see, because that's not biblical leadership. The agenda, the task of every pastor, the agenda of every church leader is to pray and seek the will of God and be obedient to it, even if it means the congregation may be uncomfortable with it. I can only imagine as I was thinking about this, and I don't know what the Church of Antioch. I have no idea what Really don't. That's not just. But I can only imagine what what could have come up. What do you mean you're taking Saul and Barnabas from us? What are you doing? We've been supporting their ministry with our money. We've been giving it to you. What do you mean you're taking them? No, no, no. There may be a, a few in the congregation that could have been a little upset. But still they were obedient to God. I hope you know this morning that the ultimate prayer that I pray for you is not comfort. It's not your happiness. It's your holiness. Because sometimes the uncomfortable moments or the moments that happiness doesn't automatically flow are the very things that God is going to use to make you like Himself. And that's what it needs for me to be holy, then I pray for. And that's what it takes for you to be holy, then I pray for. It. These leaders who are listening, obedient, and even willing to lead in an uncomfortable situation. Big change. So will you pray for the leadership of this church? That we do not get caught up in what we want. That we don't get caught up in, this is the way Elm Street Baptist has always done things. Okay, great. But what if the Lord comes and completely changes things up? Is that what we're going to tell him? That we may be in tune, we may be vertically focused, that when God speaks, we would listen, and that we would trust his wisdom, we would submit to his lordship, and that Christ would take us deeper into the kingdom of God. Is that what you want? Because that's what I want. So even in these three verses, this part of the meal, all the truth that we see, God's in charge. He's the Lord of the leadership. It's his supreme wisdom that we have to trust. And he speaks, and he leads, and he directs us as we gather. But from the leadership perspective, those who are serving, you must remain vertically focused. We must be seeking the will of God and carrying out his task and his purposes, even if it's uncomfortable. Let's pray for that. Let's pray for this acknowledgement of his lordship, And pray for such a reception to it that we saw at the church at Antioch. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we come to you this morning. We're thankful that how, in this corporate worship setting, you, our Lord, speaks. You have bought us, we are yours. You are in church. You lead us according to your supreme wisdom, even when it may not make sense to us. We pray that you help us trust your wisdom, trust you, even when you come in and you shake things up, and we don't even think we need it. Lord, that we would be open to your Spirit leading us and directing us in ways that we perhaps have never even thought of before. Help us not be so bound on routine and how we do things that we miss out on what the Spirit wants to take us. And we pray for the leadership of this church. You are the great shepherd, but we pray, Lord, that all those who are serving in leadership, ultimately before any ministry task, before any duty, before anything that we do, you ultimately be seeking your face. Disciples before anything. Fill us that we may feed. Equip us that we may be examples to those that we serve. Lord, give us an awareness of your voice and the obedience to obey, even if it brings discomfort, even if it brings objections. God, we pray your kingdom come, your will be done, because you are the Lord. Pray this in your holy name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing a hymn of response to our great Lord of this church. Stand up, stand up for Jesus.